listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro. I'm really glad you're tuning in because on tonight's show, I have for you some phenomenal guests, including from Roger Sportsnet, the Fan 590, Roger Lejoie, the host of his fantastic show you can catch in the evenings on the radio across Canada. He is absolutely fantastic, and I've been on his show, I think, about a dozen times, so this is finally some quid pro quo. So be sure to stick around to appreciate what he has to say about the Blue Jays' fortunes both during the offseason and heading into 2018. And then, following him, is another personal favorite of mine, a legend in the Toronto sportscasting world, and quite frankly across Canada when he was with CTV. I'm talking about the great Joe Tilly. And this is a gentleman that I was just absolutely tickled pink to get an opportunity to speak with because he's someone that I grew up watching, someone whose very voice makes me feel like I'm 20, 25 years younger. Uh, Joe, if you're listening, you'll notice I didn't say 35 because we both know you were doing this pretty much in the Stone Age of uh, sports entertainment broadcasting. And uh, he had some phenomenal things to say about the Blue Jays, including his appreciation for what's going to happen both with John Gibbons, Josh Donaldson, and Ross Atkins. Really, really excellent stuff. So be sure to stick around to catch both of these gentlemen, followed by the first installment of a minor league report brought to you by Elias Anderson and Richard Burfer from the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. These two lads have recently joined the Jays Journal telecast, if you will, to be able to present their analysis and perspective of some of the Blue Jays' prospects and what the future looks like using their excellent organization and analytics to really make us understand what's at store, complementing the great minor league gurus we already have on the Jays Journal, including the chief guru, the grand poobah himself, Craig Borden. I say this with apologies to Nick Raponi and Sam Bruce and a host of other Jays Journal writers, but quite frankly, he's paying me to say that. So, finally, no show would be complete if I didn't also include a nice 25-minute roundtable with four of your favorite Jays Journal writers and contributors, including site expert Chris Henderson, Sam Bruce, Jason Lee, and the aforementioned wonderful Craig Borden, are all on the Jays Journal this episode. And tonight's show, November the 27th, is quite frankly a long time coming. It's been almost, I'd say, what, two weeks since the last episode of Jays Journal. I've been getting lots of heat on Twitter, lots of emails from people asking me, what happened to the Jays Journal podcast? What happened to my daily, three-time-a-week, weekly digestion of all the great stuff related to the Jays Journal website at www.jaysjournal.com and all the great stuff that I usually try to bring you on a weekly basis? Well, listen, some people even ask me, is it hockey, Ari? Are you doing too much Habs fan versus Leafs fan? The answer is maybe, maybe, or maybe not. Really, the truth is I've been extremely preoccupied with making sure that we can bring you the best possible entertainment. And this show is no exception. You know, during this two-week stretch, there have been a lot of things going on in the media. There have been a lot of stories, a lot of controversies, of course, during that time. First, there was a Baseball Hall of Fame Cooperstown controversy involving a letter that Joe Morgan had sent out that was ultimately interpreted by Jeff Passan as a shot across the bow. Horrible, horrible moral turpitude. He just didn't like the idea, Jeff did of people having to put conditional elements on those considered for the Hall of Fame. And I, of course, am referring to Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds as the focal point of why that controversy even exists. Look, it's really simple. I've tweeted about this before, people. If Bud Seeley is in your Baseball Hall of Fame, then you have no reason not 
to elect a Roger Clemens or a Barry Bonds. They should be there. It's simple as that. And that pains me to no end, because as both a baseball purist and as someone who's been following the Blue Jays from day one, I can tell you, it churns my stomach to think poster boys of the steroid era are going to get a pass and ultimately enshrined in a, in a hallowed hall that unfortunately is not a reflection on the quality of human behavior. It's really simply a baseball hall of fame. It's a museum. We shouldn't lose our composure when we consider exactly what those ramifications are. Yes, on a certain level, we'd like it to be a, a baseball shining moral example of what kind of players should represent the best in the game. But every era has its scruples. It has its unsavory elements that you have to piece together. And while I appreciate that uh, Jeff Passan's stance on not voting at all is in play and Joe Morgan is so passionate about warning people about those on the Mitchell Report, I think a lot of it is just absolute nonsense. Again, Bud Selig, the architect behind everything that happened in that period in the late 90s in early 2000s, is in the Hall of Fame. Ask yourself why exactly we're holding a different standard to the players who made it happen. He presided over their success. Let's not, let's not lose our, our perspective, if you will. And on top of that, we also had uh, nothing but speculation on the free agent front. In fact, looking at the Jays' journal, which you can find at www.jaysjournal.com. We've got some ridiculously dynamic writers and contributors. I'm seeing a lot of interesting articles trending right now, including one by Chris Henderson, which is entitled, Blue Jays Fishing in the Free Agent Deep End So Far. A really, really fantastic article because it, it makes you appreciate that the Blue Jays, apparently, are doing everything in their power to be movers and shakers when it comes to the free agent market. In particular, the rumors surrounding Jake Arrieta, which have been validated on ESPN.com in a recent article pickup from Alex Tekip, who reported that both the Blue Jays, Colorado Rockies, huh, and Texas Rangers, so three suitors right now, are heavily interested in making a pitch at who Keith Law ranked the number four free agent in the market in his top 50. So that's obviously significant. And of course, being a Scott Boras client makes me flash a devilish grin and wonder just how masochistic Mark Shapiro really thinks he is. So check out that article. And then there's this uh, marvelous uh, piece of literature by our other site expert, Clayton Riche, called uh, Blue Jays Free Agent Bench Options Aplenty, where he really goes into an analysis of the kind of depth offerings that exist on the free agent market, in particular ones to address the uh, existing Ryan Gones, Ezequiel Carrera, Darwin Barney triumvirate, which I think is now really long in the tooth and even though fans don't seem to mind them, there are better options out there, whether it's uh, Andre Ethier, Jason Wirth, or, uh, dare I say, Adam Lind and Brett Laurie. Blast from the past. That's really all we need during this offseason. Mm-hmm. And then, if you really want to appreciate the value of analysis, check out this article by our own Jim Scott, which is titled Blue Jays and the Donaldson Domino Effect, where he really looks at the ramifications, if you will, on how the Blue Jays can potentially pursue big-named free agents using the status of, of Josh Donaldson's contract as tremendous leverage. His, his closing paragraph on the article is magnificent. Quote, a great modern philosopher once said, seriously, that making a decision too early was often a mistake. Waiting allows uncertainties to crystallize and options to become more clear. In the case of the Jays and Josh Donaldson, timing is everything, and now is probably not the time. So it's a really fascinating look at what could potentially happen with the vaunted Josh Donaldson fan favorite, whom I've now interviewed, I think, maybe three dozen 
high-profile media luminaries to get their opinion of whether they should keep him or trade him. And believe it or not, people, no one has said trade him. Everyone, I don't know if it's sentimentality, I don't know if they appreciate what he really represents, which I've argued is true stability during a rebuild-slash-contend window of time. But I really hope they're serious about that, the Blue Jays are, to, to make a decision on him and soon. And all you have to do is check out another one of Jim Scott's articles trending right now, which is called Blue Jays, Otani, and Seven Questions. And he'll give you a nice deeper dive into all the different variables associated with courting Otani and what the consequences are from an economic and, and socio-cultural perspective. It's a really great look at, at what we can only, those being the cynics, of course, can only appreciate as being a shot in the dark of ever landing in Otani, but something tells me that it's when you least expect something significant to happen that you uh, you ultimately see it happening. So those are just some of the great articles that you should check out at the Jays Journal. My next guest on the Jays Journal podcast is someone I'm used to answering questions with rather than asking them, and that's just fine by me. He's an author, a teacher, a hockey executive, and the critically acclaimed host at Sportsnet The Fan 590, Roger Lajoie is on the Jays Journal podcast. Raj, thanks for joining the show. Oh, Eric, it's my pleasure. Nice to be on your show for a change. Love it. Thank you. I was going to say, this is, this is bizarro land for me. I've got to change mindsets here because I'm now going to dig for some answers from you. I know you're a huge, passionate baseball guy. We always enjoy our discussions on the air in front of thousands of listeners. I may not have as big an audience, but I've got ones who are equally as hardcore and dedicated to their Blue Jays team. So having you on and having this opportunity to ask you some questions, let's start by talking about what's been a dreaded winter of speculation. Pretty much that's all it's been. We've, uh, we as fans of the team have been receiving information from the front office, and so far I think the highlight might be that a lot of good people lost their jobs, sadly. What do you think is going on uh, with this front office when it comes to addressing all of these heated touch points about whether or not Josh Donaldson stays, whether Mark Stro- Marcus Stroman should be uh, given an extension, where, where, whereas we might see a Stanton and Otania Martinez uh, dealing with the health of Sanchez and Travis. You know, you tweeted recently that fans should be very, very satisfied of being in a city where there's great promise on all sports fronts. And you included the Toronto Blue Jays. How do you reconcile fan expectations when when it comes to moving ahead in 2018? Well, it's a great question, Ari, because, you know, we can all read the standings and, and see that the Blue Jays were in last place right up until the last day of the season in the division and then just make the conclusion that the franchise is no longer competitive and is no longer any good. And, and I kind of disagree with that. You know, we saw the San Francisco Giants win three World Series in six years, win a World Series, stink, win a World Series, stink, uh, on we go. Boston Red Sox went from first to last, same kind of thing. So I still feel good about the team, and I feel good about the team because I still look at the nucleus. And I also look, and you know, we visited and talked about hockey as well, and I, I'm a big mantra on injuries are not an excuse. They're an explanation, but they're still an explanation. And worth pointing out, the Blue Jays last year had a ridiculous amount of injuries. And it's now right off the bat, there'll be people hearing that saying he's making an excuse. I'm not making an excuse. You have to find a way to work it out. All teams have injuries, but some teams have a lot more than others, Ari. And that was with the Blue Jays. I look at a team that has Stroman and Sanchez and Osuna, who I still have a lot of faith in, despite the bumps. I see a team with Donaldson and Tulowitzki and the, the surrounding cast. I do see holes like everybody else does, but I see a team that if everybody at least comes back to some degree of health, 
can still be competitive. And the tweet you're referring to, I didn't suggest the Blue Jays were going to win a World Series anytime soon. I said they would be competitive. And I thought at times last year, despite the injuries, they were still competitive. So I feel decent about them, but you're right in terms of, we hear it all the time, Mary, and the team comes to the crossroads. And it's not that often that a team is really at the crossroads where the next couple of moves will be a big factor. This team is, though. It was at the crossroads a couple of years ago when Alex Anthopoulos had to decide, am I going all in, am I putting my cards in? And he did. And he brought in Price, and he brought in Tulo, and bingo, the Blue Jays go on and get the two ALCSs and lose back-to-back. Right now, with uh, the organization and the front office, they face the same kind of decision. All right, the team took a step back. They're getting older. We know that. Now, is it time for a rebuild? Do we trade Josh Donaldson? Do we take one more crack at it? So it will be a fascinating year. But I look at that lineup, and I look at that pitching staff, and I say to myself, that team is still competitive. Let's see what happens. Let's see where they are at the All-Star break, because if they're in last place again, we're looking at a complete rebuild. But if they're not, I still think this team can compete because I guess I like their players a lot more than a lot of people on Twitter do. That's a great point. There, there, there's no shortage, I think, of likable players, especially based on the ones that were acquired through Anthopolis decisions. And, of course, we see him now back in baseball. He's going to be the GM of the Atlanta Braves. Sadly, his predecessor really mucked things up in terms of all the punishment that will be doled out for some really sketchy uh, behavior concerning strategic draft signings and picks. But there's no question that what Alex Anthopoulos was able to achieve was really seismic, wasn't it? I mean, what happened in 2015, could you argue, set a level of expectations which is still hounding the franchise based on the fact that a whole new generation of millennial fans jumped on the bandwagon and said, wow, these Blue Jays are great. Let's expect them to win all the time. And then at the first signs of a really challenging year, as you alluded to, with injuries and underachievement, how do we address the fact that there are still scores of fans out there expecting that in baseball they'll be competitive every year when you know that's just not realistic? Well, there's nothing wrong with having expectations and wanting to be competitive every year, but uh, you also said if you're expecting your team to win every time, um, it never happens. And I mean, it never happens. The LA Dodgers at least maybe are the best example recently of a consistent uh, team that won division titles and made it to a World Series, but they still haven't cashed in. No team wins all the time. You're right about Anthopoulos. There's no question that he really had a trade deadline to end all trade deadlines and created a team that was good enough to win. But the expectations were warranted because you have Price, you have Tulo, you made those moves you're you're a team that should win this year expecting you know i don't know what the expectation is my reaction area every time i talk about the jays on twitter is i don't think there's an expectation the blue jays are going to win i think most people think the blue jays are going to lose this year and when i call them competitive in a tweet i get people going back don't be a homer it's like i didn't say they're going to win the world series i just said they're going to be competitive and yet I don't think the expectations are there this year, which might turn out to be a decent thing because end of the day, it really doesn't matter what our expectations are. It's what the players' expectations are and how they perform. And I go back again, I still like the team, Mary. I still like the, the position players. I like the pitching staff. I would take this team one more year, go to war with them. They stay healthy. I still think they can do something. But to your original point, this offseason – 
they have some work to do, and we haven't seen a lot of it get done yet. They have blaring holes in a couple of spots. They have a lot of uh, work to do in terms of making a decision on Josh Donaldson. It's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays itself out. But I expect the Blue Jays uh, to be a very competitive team as presently constructed, even if nothing happens in the offseason. I could be wrong about that, but we'll find out soon enough. And I can tell you this much, Ari, another 2-12 and start or 2-10 and start, whatever it was, uh, <laughs> that will certainly yeah. change everybody's expectations uh, this time around. Especially those who appreciate the power of mathematics and the reality in baseball and hockey that if you're not able to capitalize on a certain number of points or wins by a certain uh, point of the schedule, then it looks like it could be a lost year. But it's interesting, you brought up Josh Donaldson, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you now that I have you on my podcast. I've had some guests from Sportsnet, whether it was Arden's Welding or Ben Nicholson-Smith, Andrew Walker, J.D. Bunkus, all of those gentlemen who came on the show were huge proponents of Josh Donaldson. And when asked point blank what they would do, their answer, not surprisingly, was give him the money, pay him the money, give him the contract. And I know you're, as a hockey executive and a man who understands the value of how to manage uh, personnel assets, how would Roger Lachois deal with Josh Donaldson if he were GM of the Toronto Blue Jays? Well, great question, but the first thing I would go is uh, go into my owner's suite, I'd knock on the door, and I'd say, how much money do I have? And uh, if I, I would have to, I can't answer that question without knowing how much money do I have. But if you are asking me what I would do in a normal situation, I would mm-hmm. resign Josh Donaldson. I'd resign him for multiple reasons. First of all, he's only 31. Uh, second of all, he's been an MVP player the last couple of uh, seasons or a caliber MVP caliber player the last couple of seasons. I know the term is long. I know you might wind up regretting it at the end, but Ari, I'm a big proponent. He's your guy. I think you should sign your guys. And you started the discussion in the off season, you know, about the off season and oh, you know, signing maybe a free agent in the off season. Why do you want to go and chase somebody mm. else's free agent? Because if you let Josh Donaldson go, what you're trying to do is sign another Josh Donaldson, albeit maybe a little bit cheaper. Sign your guys. I think it is very different to re-sign a player, your own guy, as opposed to go out and get somebody else. Because regardless of what you're doing, and listen, you know Donaldson will get ridiculous money, but he deserves it. And secondly, there is at least an element of it, well, it's, you're paying for past performance. And I know nobody wants to do that, but if an employer gives you a raise, is not the raise a combination of expectation of even better and a reward for what you've done? Why should athletes be any different? Now, I don't want to pay Lorenzo Cain for what he's already done, but I'll pay Josh Donaldson for what he's already done. I see a huge difference in that. I don't think it's now. The only way it's not a no-brainer is if, look, it's not going to fit. We don't see it that way. There's lots of ways you can build a team. I, I can get that. He's 31. He's not 35. He's had several minor injuries, not a major one. And he's my guy. I would resign him. Is there a psychological difference, I suppose, in giving someone a raise or giving someone a contract to achieve success with your franchise versus going out and getting someone who's done it with someone else and then crossing your fingers that all things being equal, you'll get the same level of expectation? Well, would a, why should an athlete be different than anybody else? Uh, no. We want people to uh, put their heart on their sleeve and compete for the city. 
You want people to support uh, the team. You expect them to do everything while they're there, and yet as soon as they become too expensive, you move them out and you get somebody else. Why is sports of that nature and so many other people are like that as opposed to working? Anybody who works for a living, how would you feel if you did everything your employer asked, did a great job, it was time to move to another pay scale, and the employer said, you know what, I think we're going to pass, we're going to go out and get somebody else. Your guy is not the same thing. You said it. It is very different in signing somebody you don't even know who has never done anything for your organization and going out and getting and re-signing your own guy. To revisit, I would have re-signed Edwin Encarnacion. I would have been quicker. I would have been more aggressive on the buy. I wouldn't have been looking at, well, you know, the agent's asking for too much. It's uh, It might be bad in the fifth year of the contract. May, very well, maybe, but he's my guy. He's my guy, and I'm rewarding him for 10 years of exemplary representing Toronto, hitting clutch homers by the fistful, being a terrific citizen of your team and expressing a desire for the most part, I know we can debate this, but for the most part that he wanted to stay in Toronto. Yet he winds up playing in Cleveland for the same amount of money. Uh, Sorry, Uh, (laughs) I didn't like the way that one played out. And I'll tell you what, I'd like to have some stock in the team that uh, signs Josh Donaldson or trades for Josh Donaldson. Let's leave it at that. When we both know if I had a, a quarter for every time I came on your show, to elucidate that same viewpoint, I'd have enough to buy you a really nice premium coffee. Because that, that is exactly the sentiments that we echoed back and forth. Speaking of your show, I know I'm just you stealing know. your material. Ari, I'm just stealing your material and putting on your own show. It's like, come on. Here. I'm going to put that up next time on your show. There we go. But, you know, why don't you take a moment, and I know you hate the, the term that I use of shameless plug. Why don't you do an elegant plug for me and tell some of my listeners here at the Jay's Journal podcast what you've been up to, what you're working on, and how they can find you on social media. Thanks, Ari. And yes, uh, there's no such thing as shameless self-promotion. Shame on you if you don't self-promote. If you're not going to promote yourself, anybody who's got their own thing going, if you're not going to promote yourself, nobody's going to do that. Feel free to do that. Uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan, has been my radio home for 25 years. My 25th anniversary is November the 30th, which I'm very blessed and thankful for. I'm the fill-in guy. I host on weekends whenever they need me. Role's been the same. It continues. It's wonderful. I'm the VP of the Belleville Senators here in uh, Belleville. We have a beautiful new arena. The Yardman Arena has been remodeled. So if anybody's in the area, we hope you'll come and visit us as we're looking to make this a resounding success for the people here in Belleville. And so far, it has been. I'm a busy guy. I'm very, very fortunate to be involved in sports. And as many of your listeners might be aware, one of my part-time gigs is 30 times a year. I'm one of the official scorers of the Toronto Blue Jays, and I love it. And just so people understand, I do not work for the Blue Jays. I work for Major League Baseball. And that's an important thing to remember when people hear me talk about the Jays and think there's no cheering interest here. It's a very different thing. But I'm a lucky guy, Ari, and I'm also very lucky to be on your podcast because you're doing it the right way. You're working hard and very, very thankful to be on your show and thankful for all the appearances you've made on mine. How was that, Seamus? Wonderful words from a a true existentialist and a philosopher of all things baseball. Roger, thank you so much for dropping in and visiting here on the Jays Journal podcast. My pleasure, Eric. Thank you very much.
As part of this great episode of Jay's Journal that we're doing, aside from the round table that we have scheduled, I thought we should reach out and find someone who I've always valued as being one of the foremost baseball minds in the city of Toronto. I am, of course, talking about motivational speaker and uber sportscaster Joe Tilly, who was on the Jay's Journal podcast. Joe, thanks for joining the show. My pleasure, Ari. I think I'm, I'm developing a pastime of just giving you great plaudits on podcasts. I, I could do this. It's not a big deal, I'll have you know. Joe, let, let's talk about these Toronto Blue Jays because, as I'm sure, you know, you, you've been following them for all intents and purposes right from the start. And you've seen a lot of different oh, yeah. front office administrations. You've seen a lot of players come and go. Is there any reason, in your opinion, as a fan of the Toronto Blue Jays, how should they feel about this upcoming 2018 season, given the, given the disappointment? of last year and all of the intrigue and speculation of what will happen next year. Um, I'm just saying, show me, you know, like uh, we've, we've had some promises from the uh, new regime that they were going to, you know, turn we we're going to start turning things around. We're going to start bringing you know, bringing in some, some talent and uh, show me because right now there, there, there are a couple of pieces that are clearly missing. A couple outfielders. We, we could use a corner outfielder for sure. Uh, Maybe some pitching help. We'll see what happens with Aaron Sanchez. You know, I mean, if, if Aaron Sanchez is, is is over his blister problem, then you know, there's there's 15 or 16 wins that they could have used last year. Uh, they, you know, we have to have another look at their relief situation after last year. What what is the deal with Roberto Osuna? He is really inconsistent last year. Where's his head at? Because that seems to be a a key component for him is, is, is having his head in the right space. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions, but I, I would say that, you know, uh, you know, Ross Atkins, Mark Spar, they have to, they have to show me, they have to show me. I mean, they, this, this, this fan base has just erupted in the, in the past few years. They're, they loved the, the, the playoff runs, this whole entire country got behind this team. It would be a massive letdown if these guys weren't able to bring in, you know, that 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 outfield piece that they're missing. You know, they did not replace uh, Edwin Encarnacion. So I'm sorry, but Kendris Morales was not a, was not a competent replacement mm-hmm. for him, mm-hmm. and, and they should have never let him get away. And the way the way that was handled on well, both sides really was a problem, but. You know, they should have done everything absolutely possible to sign him. They probably could have done that before it even came to free agency. But they didn't. And, and that was a problem. And, and uh, you know, this, this, this lovely support, this, you know, this great goodwill they've got the fan base over the last three or four years, they're going to lose it if they, don't, if they don't bring in the right pieces. I'm wondering when you look at what Anthopoulos, Alex Anthopoulos, who's now back uh, in the spotlight again, becoming the GM of the Atlanta Braves under a rather interesting circumstances, given the recent punishment that the organization has suffered for their collusion in signing uh, different international free agents. When you look at what Alex was able to achieve in, for all intents and purposes, making baseball relevant again after initial efforts that, you know, the four-year plan, the 2012 trade, the J.P. Ricciardi era, you can even go back as far as Gordash. It's been a, a cavalcade of, of really 
nothing more than mediocrity. And then Alex changed that. And you mentioned something very important. You talked about creating goodwill with the fans. Is it safe to say that that is both as positive and negative a thing he could have done, given that he then left the organization and now his replacements clearly have a different philosophy when it comes to competing and getting the fans' value for dollars? Well, yeah, it's different. I mean, it was a tough situation because they weren't going to hand the full reins to Alex. They weren't going to make him president. Uh, he was always going to have to work for Shapiro. And that was an, I, I think that was the situation that, that Alex just realized from the outset was not going to work for him. He was not comfortable... You know, being in an organization, having his place, having his full reign to do whatever he wanted, than having a guy shipped in from another organization to take the reins above his head, and now suddenly he's got somebody to answer to where he never did before, that was not going to work. It would be different if Shapiro came in before Alex did, but that wasn't the case. And it, was, it was an awkward situation for him, and obviously he wasn't comfortable with it. And, and not to say that there's anything wrong with Shapiro or he, he doesn't know what he's doing, but it just I don't think that situation worked for Alex. So I just don't think it was ever going to work. But Alex took some chances. He played the game, I think, a little bit differently than Shapiro and Atkins would. You know, he dealt away a, a lot of prospects, and, that, and I don't think that's that sat well with Shapiro. Uh, you know, he likes to stockpile assets that kind of similar to what the Leafs are trying to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, but you know, they were in a place where they had this talent. They had, you know, Jose Bautista in his prime. They had Josh Donaldson in his prime. They had Edwin Encarnacion. They had a team that was loaded for bear and, and, and ready. And he, so he was willing to make, you know, to, to, to bring in the David Price, you know, to, make, to, to pull yeah. the trigger on the Tulowitzki trade, to make, those, to make those deals, to make things happen now. And really, I mean, we haven't seen anything like that since 1993. No. It, was, it was tremendously exciting. And, and I'll tell you, between 1980, 1993 and uh, 2013, man, there were some lean, ugly years. Yeah. I remember, I remember you know, like there were some really lean years. I remember going to that, that uh, ballpark and, and, and there was nobody there. No. I mean, it looked like it looked like a Tampa Bay Rays game at times. I remember they, they were giving tickets away at A and P. It was, it was awful. And, and so, uh, you know, that, that's that, that's the type of situation. You see, I don't think Mark Shapiro and and, and and Ross Atkins realize that, but that's you know that's potentially that's what you can see again if you if you if you drag this team through the mud again. Unlike the the least fan base is a little different. They would be willing. More than willing to to, uh, to to have a situation blown up, start all over again. I don't think you can do that in Toronto with the Jays. I don't think you can do that with the, with the Blue Jays. It, so it, it's, it's a funny. different scenario. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting yeah, comparing it's a, the it's a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say it's a different scenario from where from where they came in. Where where uh, Alex Anthopoulos was at and where, where those where they came in, it's just a little bit different situation now. And they they can't they can't blow it up. What they're trying to do is they're trying to stay competitive while adding the proper pieces. And we know that in baseball, what sets what ultimately sets baseball in Toronto, I think, aside from any other sport, 
is this notion of, uh, of a meritocracy, of knowing that if you build the product, if you get the personnel, and if you're competitive, you're going to get the fans. Unfortunately, a lot of Blue right. Jays' uh, front office predecessors had the eyeglass in reverse and were punished for it because there were, right. I think, even even during the, the, the era of Halliday, a Roy Halliday game would usually get 25,000, 30,000 um, participants in the stands, spectators, and the other game would get 10,000. Now, you and yeah. I know that Mark Shapiro is a two-time MLB executive. He's a smart cookie. You know, far be yeah. it for you and I to think that we know about the game of baseball than the current Jays front office. But if you right. knew that investing in your team and expanding the payroll and entertaining the Giancarlo Stantons or the Shohei Atanis or the J.D. Martinez of the world would make a direct impact with the number of fans and the interest across the country, isn't that an opportunity, in your opinion, for the Blue Jays to take advantage of what will be a free agent market that by next year will be completely blown out of the water by something different? Yeah, I, I agree. It's like, uh, I think, you know, you, you need to tell the fans that this is, a, this is like a, a, a top-tier market. You, know, you need to, you know... You need to uh, reiterate that to the fans. This is a top-tier market. We are a competitive club. We want to be a World Series champion. We're serious about this, and we'll do whatever it takes. And, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not sure if, if the ownership is 100% committed to that, but if they're not, they're not the fans are going to figure that out. I mean, yeah. it's not going to be hard to figure out. Fans are going to figure that out. Fans are going to start to say, what are we doing supporting these guys? They don't care. Like, why, why don't we know? Why don't we see that the Jays are front and center for the Otani sweepstakes? Mm-hmm. Why don't we see that? Uh, why don't we see that the Jays are front and center for the doing something to acquire Giancarlo Stanton? Why are we seeing that? Uh, you know, the Jays are are are, are primary uh, wheelers and dealers in the free agent market. Like, I want to hear some of these rumors. I want to hear something that. You know, Blue Jays are in talks with, with some, some uh, potential free agents. I want to hear that as a Blue Jay fan, right? That's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear that, oh, we'll see what happens. We'll see, we'll see who's left after the, after the heavy hitters do their you know, pick their way through. So is it safe to say, based on those Tilly sentiments, that you would endorse unequivocally signing Josh Donaldson to a long-term contract here in Toronto. What are your thoughts on the whole well, Josh Donaldson? It's a hundred percent. It's it's no it's no different than than the Raptors signing Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan. Mm-hmm. It's it's you've got these guys, you know whether they're the best guys in the world uh, in their position or not it doesn't matter. What you're the indication you're giving to the fans is Toronto matters. Toronto is a is a big league destination for big league ball players. We are going to take care of those players who have who have taken care of us. We're going to, you know, this guy is a former MVP. You know, you, you're not going to turn around and say, oh, you know what, we just can't afford to sign this guy. It's just too much money. BS. Sign yeah. the guy. Prove that you're a big league player. Don't let money be a. Don't let it look like, you know, don't let the fans perceive that money is a factor. Show that you want that you want that you're a big league player here, because if this is the New York Yankees, we wouldn't be having this conversation. No, he'd be no. signed. No. You know what I'm saying? I mean, show you're a big the, league player. Yeah. And if this were the New York Yankees, the way we'd be responding to a 17 percent payroll increase after a 76. 76-
these new free agents and an upgrade of the team, right? Right. We'd say, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course, well, there's going to be a 17% increase, if not more. Come on. Yeah. It's a 76-win team. Let's fix this mess. Again, there were there were some, you know, there were some, uh, there were some uh, situations beyond their control. Like, I mean, uh, really, the, the Sanchez blister was 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 so detrimental to that team because, you know, they had to bring in they had to bring in pitches starters who Joe Biagini guys who, who weren't starters. Yeah. They were given they were given games away. I mean, let's let, let, I think the combined their starters who in place of of uh, Sanchez I believe were something like three and eighteen. So let's turn that around and make that uh, something like let's let make that something like uh, fifteen and six because potentially this is how good this kid is, and that's I mean that's not even unrealistic in my opinion. So let's add 12, 12 wins onto that to that seventy six win team or whatever the heck they were. This, the facts are the facts. This was an unprecedented year for injuries. But I think you'll agree, Joe, this was also an unprecedented year for underachievement. I mean, if we talk about the wins that the Blue Jays could have picked up to fight for that second wildcard spot in an era where almost every team is in it, if they have players who can breathe and walk in a straight line up until the end, it seems. Yeah. What does it say that Jose Bautista had a negative war and Kendris Morales had a negative war and now you've got players that should have stepped up like Estrada and Hap, and for various reasons, some injury-related, some mental focus. How are you going to look back at 2017? Will you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to write it off as injuries being the dominant story, or maybe a combination of all Murphy's Law factors where we had player regression, underachievement, as well as injuries? You know what, I, I, I do. I would say it is. It, it is. Sorry, I would just write it off. And, and you know what? Yeah. In addition to uh, Batista having the kind of season he did, I just think there was there was just in addition to a bad war, I believe he had a bad aura. <laughs> it, it, to me, it's just like it just seemed like a, a negative aura around this guy. I mean, I I, I love the way that Batista's played for this team and the, the things he's done and the bat flip and everything else, you know. But you know, the, the arguing, the calls with the umpires, it's gotten old, man. I mean. You're not getting those calls, and you never, you know, you, nobody. I mean, everybody gets called in the same way, relatively speaking. And if anything, sure, he might call. He might bring some of about it himself because if I'm an umpire, I mean, I'm human. And this guy, he he he's berated umpires for a long time. He's been, he's you know, he's done that kind of thing. And, and if uh, if I'm a, you know it just it just gets old and it, it's something that I'm, I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt I'm just not as a human being I'm just not going to do that and I think you know having having Batista out of there I mean you know God bless him love him and what he did with to, for the Jays is amazing but I think last year was was bad just was bad and he just didn't fit and it just was was a bad scene all around and I don't think his his attitude helped. I think when things are going good, Batista's attitude can be helpful. I think when things are bad, his attitude is not good. And and there's well probably a couple other players on the team you you can you can probably you can probably say that about. Because well, well, uh, yeah. you know it just, it just the way things went, it just it snowballed, and 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 that didn't help. You know, and I I'm, I'm I think you know the manager has to take some responsibility for that because it's his job. 
to manage egos and manage teams and manage uh, personalities in addition to managing ball, uh, pitchers, you know. And, and uh, yeah. you know, yeah. So, I mean, I, I take the, the manager takes some responsibility that, but I, I think Gibby's great. I like what he does. And I certainly give him another shot with a new-looking team, with a team with a different, a different edge, a different, you know, feel. It's quite a semi-charmed managerial life he's got, if you think about it. You know, not only was he brought back as somewhat of a, a reclamation manager from an old era of Blue Jays history, but then he tasted yeah. the success and now is the object, sadly, of scorn once again because the team didn't win. Um, are you concerned at all, Joe, that Mark Shapiro might decide for himself that maybe I need to handpick my own guys? And technically speaking, John Gibbons is not a is not a, a reflection of what the front office maybe had planned to do in the first place. Uh, do you see him having the vote of confidence of management and fans moving forward in 2018? Is it a risk that if they start poorly again and only have, let's say, two wins through the first two weeks that we could see a John Gibbons firing? No. I mean, no, he's not going to survive that. No way. I mean, and it's just because because things were so bad last year, I think, I think, I think most people are on the same page as me. I think because of what he's done the previous two years, let's give him another shot. Last year was an aberration. Let's just throw it away, toss it away, you know, just forget that, throw that bathwater out, and uh, but not the baby with it. And let's just see what happens in the first few few months of the season. You know, if if uh, if you know middle of May comes around and they're and they're you know five and twenty, then uh, yeah. Yeah, he'll be gone. But if the middle of May turns around and he's twenty and five, everybody's going to go see. Ah, the well, fickle nature, fickle right? nature of sports. Yeah, it all. It, it's, right. it's only it's only a question. Of what have you done for me lately, isn't it? Well, actually, either way, they're going to go see because it's just, there's the doubters and there's the people who, who say fire him, and there's the people who say stick with him. So you're going to either way you're going to say see. But but you know the point being is is that I think he deserves a shot. I mean, he's he's been taking the playoffs two of the last three years, right? That's yeah. real. And and, and so uh, so for sure he deserves a shot. And you know, he, I like Gibby. He's a great guy. He's a fun guy. He's always nice to me. And uh, he, I like the way he manages the team. I, I, I think he's he's an intelligent guy. I think that uh, you know. He might mumble in the, you know, the in his interviews, but man, he guy, he's funny, he's smart, he's witty, he's he's, he's clever, and I think he he, he, uh, he he's clever beyond what people give him credit for. And I think that uh, you know he does deserve a shot, but again, you 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 harken back to the point that uh, our, you know Shapiro, Mark Shapiro never never I was going to say Ari uh, <laughs> uh, Shapiro never gave him he's not his guy. Generally, when, when a, a new general manager, new president, somebody takes over an organization, they want to bring in their own guy. That, that happens all over the place. But in this situation, what you had is you had, you had Alex Anthopoulos leaving an organization that just made the playoffs. And now a new, a new, a new regime comes in, and, and so they're not going to tinker too much. They can't. It, just, it would be insane because there would be a fan backlash. So what are you doing? You know, you're going to fire the manager of a playoff team? That doesn't make any sense. But now that they've had this crappy year, uh, I, I think you know Gibby is, is free game in, in that in that regard. So, in, in, if, if Shapiro ever had the idea, or, or Atkins ever had the idea in the back of the mind, 
they had their own guy in mind for a manager, if they did have their own guy in mind for a manager, well, the time will soon come when they'll, when they'll bring that guy in. Yeah. If the Jays get off to a lousy start. If the Jays get off to a good start, you know what? I don't think there's any problem with, with Gibby. They've now, you know, he's now been their guy for two seasons, right? Yeah. So he's been their guy for two seasons. So, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's some attachment to that. So he, he, he kind of is their guy now because they didn't make a change, right? So, so now if, uh, if, if, if Gibby has success, they have no problems keeping him. If Gibby doesn't have any success, they have no problem releasing him because he wasn't their guy in the first place. So it's a win-win for them, I think. Tell my listeners here at the Jays Journal Podcast, Joe, uh, what you're up to and how they can find you on social media. Well, you can uh, you can reach me on Twitter at, at JoeSwissTV. Um, I'm doing some uh, uh, some podcasts. Well, not podcasts. So I'm doing some, what they call, it's called the Snap Rant. Uh, and, I, and I just do a 30, 40-second rant about three or four times a week. Basically, uh, all, all the Toronto sports time, teams uh, come into play. And uh, I have some fun with that. I'm doing some acting. Um, I'm uh, uh, I've still got another month of CTV Toronto, <laughs> and then I'm uh, and then then I'm off uh, into retirement. And we'll see what we'll see what that brings. Well, listen, I, I I certainly wish you all the luck on all fronts. You've been listening to me chatting with Joe Tilly, a true Canadian sportscaster staple a baseball soothsayer, and clearly a big pro Kibbe authority. Joe, I want to thank you so much for your time here on the Jays Journal Podcast. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks Thanks for everything. Thanks. Next on the Jays Journal Podcast, it's my absolute pleasure to bring on two gentlemen who are absolute specialists on the field of prospecting and understanding what's in store for the future with the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm referring to Elias Anderson and Richard Burfer from the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network who dropped in the show this week to talk about the Blue Jays' top prospects. Take it away, boys. Thanks for having us on the show. I'm Elias Anderson, and we also have Richard Burfer, who is the head of Canadian Scouting for Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, joining us today. Hi, guys. Thanks for having us. I'm really excited to be on the show today. Let's get started. All right, we're going to go through the top Blue Jays prospects who have really separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Starting mm-hmm. at number one, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Yeah, um, in terms of the top guys in the Jays farm system, it's the three guys everyone really knows about. It's Vladdy Guerrero, it's Bo Bichette, and it's Anthony Alford. Um, with Vladdy Guerrero, the first thing you got, you're going to notice with this kid is he's completely different from his father. Uh, the body type's different, but Vladdy Guerrero, he can flat-out hit... Uh, the raw power is there, and I mean, talking to people in the organization, they think he can hit major league pitching already, and it's just an exciting kid to watch. He might just be the top prospect in all of baseball right now. What do you think, Elias? That's really exciting for Jays fans. I don't think we've had a top prospect in all of baseball in a long time. Mm -hmm. So, now on to our second top prospect, Mm -hmm. Bo Bichette. Yeah, um, with Bo Bichette, um, just like Vladdy Guerrero, the hit tool is there, but what you're going to notice with someone like Bichette is his swing. That's the thing that's going to catch your eye right from the get-go. It's a weird swing, but the Jays just don't want to fix it. They don't want to fix something that's not broke. And really, when a guy hits 380s in the minors, what's there to fix? Even though the swing's a little aggressive, it looks weird, but 
the bat-to-ball skills that Bo Bichette has is just off the charts, and that's something to be really excited about. Um, in the field, in terms of his range, it's not really there for short, but we could expect to see a guy like Bo Bichette manning second base for the Jays for many years to come. What do you think, Elias? I believe that Bo Bichette is someone that the Blue Jays and the Blue Jays fans should be very excited about. He has all the makings of the next mm-hmm. great player, other than his range, which we will deal with at some point, maybe mm-hmm. move him to second, as you were saying. Yep. Um, and I really think that Bo Bichette could be another great player in the Toronto mm-hmm. Blue Jays organization. Yeah. Now, for number three, we have Anthony Alford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, in terms of Anthony Alford, he might just be the guy who is the most ready to enter the major leagues. Uh, we saw him already, and he might even compete. He will compete for a roster spot coming out of spring. The chances of him making it are pretty slim because of Teoscar Hernandez and how well he played with the Jays in September. But the Jays really love this kid. Uh, they love his athleticism. He might just be the best athlete in the James, Jays farm system. Uh, kid was a college quarterback. Um, the power potential is there. He can run. He can hit. And really, the make we don't talk about this enough. The makeup is off the charts, and that's something that the Jays really love about this kid, that he comes into work, the makeup's great, and they really think that this guy is the future of their outfield. Well, those are the top three Jays prospects that have really pushed themselves from the rest of the field and really put themselves in a good position to be good for a long time. And I think the Jays are starting to restock that their farm system for the mm-hmm. first time since Alex Anthopoulos devastated it mm-hmm. in July of 2015. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Richard Burfer, yeah. for coming and joining us from Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. We are very happy to be on your show. Great job, lads. Be sure to check out the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. They're an organization which evaluates tracks and provides data analytics for both pro baseball and collegiate organizations. You can find Elias Anderson and Richard Burfer online at CB Scouting Net. Now, as if that's not enough for your listening pleasure, we are going to join in progress the most recent roundtable from the Jays Journal which includes some writers and contributors that you follow on a daily basis. I am, of course, talking about site expert Chris Henderson, who joined me to chat about Blue Jays' past, present, and future, along with Sam Bruce, Craig Borden, and Jason Lee. Give me the Sam Bruce perspective of what you would do with Josh Donaldson. What do you do if you're the GM of this team? Honestly, um, and I love Josh Donaldson to death, and I don't want to undervalue anything he's done for this franchise, but... uh, I'd honestly flip him either this off season or more ideally in the uh, during the, at the trade deadline when demands are going to be a little higher than they are during the off season. Uh, not necessarily because he's not an asset to the team, but because he is an asset to the team, um, regardless if we sign him or not. Um, even if he's having a down year, he's going to still get, fetch a pretty penny at deadline. And if we're able to shed some contracts such as Kendris Morales, then we can enter into the uh, 2018-2019 off-season deadline where you've got the likes of Bryce Harper and Mike Trout on the list. And I don't think anybody here is going to deny that both of them would be undeniable assets for a retooling, rebuilding future Blue Jays team. If you add, say, Bryce Harper or Mike Trout to a team that has Vlad and Bo, I don't think anybody's going to be complaining about it. Wow. What do you think of that, that, uh, Chris? 
Oh, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, and I think there's enough other names in that free agency group as well that they're worthwhile taking a look at. You know, unfortunately, and I only know this because I just looked into it yesterday, but Trout is actually li- is uh, locked up till 2022, if my memory serves me correct now, um, with the Halos. But Harper is absolutely a free agent. Machado is a free agent. Kershaw could be a free agent. I mean, the names go on and on. So you, you make a great point. Not only that, um, we're still not – even if we do are able to land such an immense talent like Manny Machado, who knows what you know blue chip prospect we could land from whatever team we send Josh Donaldson to. Not only do we get to dip our feet into the 2018 free agent pool, but we are still getting a benefit from it. So by not allowing Josh Donaldson to just go freely into the 2018 free agent pool, we are getting some benefit rather than losing him, as well as being able to just to go out and see what type of contract we might be able to land with the immense amount of elite prospects or elite talent that's on the market next year. Oh yeah. No, no, that, that's very well said. We, we all know that every player has a stock value and his stock right now is, is basically at its highest point, isn't it? To enter this season and risk him either potentially injuring himself or losing the leverage that you have right now when there are teams who want to take advantage of getting value in... I mean, you're not going to get value in 2018 when you go after big-name free agents. All the Scott Borises right. of the world will go out of their way to, to, to prevent that from happening. But now, now is the time where some organizations would say, if you give me Josh Donaldson, uh, I'll give you a treasure trove of my best, of the best of my farm system, along with some players I have now, because he might be the difference, the missing link in somebody's World Series aspirations, right, Sam? Right. And I don't want to be pessimistic, and I do believe that uh, this next Blue Jays season is going to be better than the last, but at the same time, I recognize we're not yet at the future. We're not quite at the point where our minor league system is ready to graduate, and I don't think we are going to make the make the World Series in this next year. So why not capitalize and get even more advantage in the upcoming years, especially with teams like the Braves and the White Sox getting ready to be monsters? Why don't we join that and take the advantage of the assets we have right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's an argument for that as well. The, uh, you know, and I look at the roster as being in a situation where that might be something that they have to do. My only issue, and I'm curious what you think of this, Sam, is um, I'm worried about losing the opportunity, window of opportunity with with Marcus Stroman, with Aaron Sanchez, with Roberto Osuna. You know, obviously that's going to require Sanchez to be healthy first and foremost, and Osuna to have a little more consistency. But uh, that's my only concern about the idea of of taking that kind of approach is that uh, you know, like letting Donaldson go midseason this year is that I just worry about wasting a year of those guys. Um, I personally. I think the Blue Jays have to re-sign Marcus Stroman. I think that's too much of a too much of a no-brainer, um, and that's something I personally hope to see this upcoming off-season is lock him down, make sure he's with the younger talent that's coming up. On Aaron Sanchez, I'll honestly pass with him. I don't want anything to do with a Scott Boris client unless it's Bryce Harper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to deal with oh, wow. Scott Boris at all. <laughs> and, you know, and that's, uh, Roberto that's Osuna, fair. We can keep him or we can flip him. I'm indifferent, especially given his mixed results in this past season. Fair enough. Fair enough. I can't say I blame you when it comes to Boris Client. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing, right? Doesn't it frustrate you both to know that Marcus Stroman is not the one with Scott Boris as the Uber agent? Marcus Stroman is the one who had to go through that arbitration process over measly $485,000 Marcus Stroman is the one who went out and kicked ass and chewed bubblegum all year to the tune of a 6-4. I mean, guys, you both 
as true purists at this game know, that's, that's an amazing number for a starting pitcher. If your starting pitchers can average two to three war each, you're in good shape. But when you've got a guy who comes out in an arbitration year and has this kind of season, and we're not hearing murmurings of long-term contracts, what's the message that the Blue Jays are basically sending to their fan base on Marcus Stroman? Um, right now I'm hearing that they're busy doing other things. That would be my number one thing. Um, if I'm the Blue Jays front office, yeah, I'm going to try to put a competitive team on the field, and that's only so I can increase ticket sales and increase, you know, hopefully budget, especially given the upcoming offseason. But I want to lock down key components for the future, and Marcus Stroman is that key component, hands down. Yeah, and I like the, I like the one phrase you said earlier, Sam, is that locking him down and making him a part of that next group. And I think he's 26 right now, if I'm not mistaken. So that's something that is very feasible, I think. Because if we're going to spend money, that money needs to be spent on Marcus Stroman, period. He's much younger. It. He's in a excellent – I mean, he's an excellent player at a position he's at, and pitching, pitching, pitching has been the big money. If we can sign him for much less than – I mean, he should earn a, a, a king's ransom. But if we can sign him, we're not going to have to worry about getting in on the Clayton Kershaws, especially with several young talents coming in. He is the guy we need to be targeting for extension. He can help carry us to World Series wins with Vlad and Bo and the rest of our farm system. Josh Donaldson's going to be an aging player by then. Sure, a former MVP caliber we've got an MVP Cy Young caliber at a very good age that we can bring in and he needs to be our guy for the future I love Josh Donaldson but Marcus Stroman absolutely has to be this key piece we need to have our ace frontline starter for the upcoming postseasons that we're going to inevitably qualify for given how our future looks we need to have that guy I just really hope that you know this passion that, that you have for Marcus Stroman is somehow reflected in, in the upper levels of, of uh, the Jays front office. Uh, I'm not trying to be cynical, Sam. It just seems to me like compared to the love they've given Sanchez with the WestJet commercial, you know, the, the WestJet commercials and all this uh, kind of embedded marketing approach to his profile. Whereas, you know, Marcus goes off and does his own HDMH. He does his own, his, if you notice post game, his, Baseball caps are always a different brand. Nobody really knows what they are. It's his own private enterprise, which the Blue Jays, I'm sure, have no problem letting him do. But why, why do you think he's not getting more love, considering that he's so much ahead on the scale of being able to prove, compared to Sanchez, that he's a true big-game pitcher? I mean, you look at his work in the last two and a half years. Any time the Blue Jays needed a big start, it seemed like Marcus Stroman's name was attached to it. The reason I personally think goes back to last year, the amount of negativity surrounding Marcus Stroman last year because he couldn't hold up to his, the last two previous years of work he produced, and just the amount of crap he got from just not, not only Jays fans, but from everybody. Um, his, his stock was at an all-time low last year for no reason, just because he couldn't have been as dominant as he was before and was overshadowed by somebody like Aaron Sanchez as well as Jay Happ and Marco Estrada last year. Last year, people are looking at him as a number four starter just because everybody, all these outliers yeah. had excellent seasons when Marcus Stroman has always been an, an A-level, a number one starter caliber player. But last year, we were spoiled with everybody having number one level players. And we'd already mm-hmm. seen him succeed, so it was less exciting than seeing this young stud like Aaron Sanchez su- succeed. If you even go back to the, the, the predictions for this offseason, people are like, yeah, Aaron Sanchez is going to be our guy. He's going to be our Cy Young candidate. And naturally, that didn't work out, but Marcus Stroman was in none of those conversations. All of those conversations were revolved around Estrada Hap and Sanchez. Nobody right, gave right. him the time of day just because he was slightly not as good as he was before. 
That's that's really well said. Let's take a call right now. We've got a call coming in, and we've now expanded this round table. Is this Jason Lee from Jay's Journal? You know it. Your timing is impeccable, as always, Mr. Lee, because we were just in the throes of discussing tonight's poll question, which is what should the Blue Jays do with Josh Donaldson? So without further delay, my friend, because you're here, throw it our way. What should the Blue Jays do in Jason Lee's eyes and mind? What should they do with him? Uh, I think you have to sign him to a contract extension with the um, with what the fan base is thinking right now because if you let this guy go in 2018 and you've already let Bautista go, you've let Encarnacion go, and now you're going to let Josh Donaldson go, I don't know if Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins can survive <laughs> leaving thir- letting three franchise icons just go like that, especially considering all the comments and all the outrage that they're already receiving, even. Wow. So true. Yeah, that's certainly a valid point. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's so many different layers to this to me. And and I think part of it, of course, is that fans expect to see a winner, you know, like we had the top, the Blue Jays had the top tenants in American League last year. And, uh, you know, as Sam has already made some great points, too, there's also great arguments to be made by moving on from, you know, the glory years that we've had here now and trying to expedite the next one, you know, whether it's from a different group or what it is, you know, whether it's a a free agent acquisition next offseason or whatever the case may be. There was Mm. a rumor today that they were going after J.D. Martinez. And if they're going after J.D. Martinez, why not just re-sign Josh Donaldson is my question. Bingo. Well, that was exactly what I said before we got Sam on the phone, too, is that I don't like Martinez for that kind of money. I mean, he's a great player, but uh, I, I don't uh, – he scares me for that kind of money and that kind of skill set. It just it screams to me we're going to have another underperforming defensive outfielder in a very short time. I mean, already he's a poor defensive outfielder, so to pay him $30 million a year, I, I, I don't know. Exactly. Now, Jason, my question for you is you'd rather spend money on Josh Donaldson and risk losing Marcus Stroman? Good question, isn't it? Not necessarily mutually exclusive, but how do you feel about that, Jason? I think they have the financial room to sign both because they have a bunch of contracts that are all going to be off the books. Estrada, Hap, Martin, by then maybe even Tulowitzki. They have a bunch of contracts coming out. So if you backload Stroman's deal, I think you could re-sign both. You're certainly right about that, for sure. I mean, it, it all depends on how they build the roster, but it's by the time that he's a free agent again, uh, or again, not again, but by the time he's actually a free agent in three years' time, uh, they could structure the contracts to make it work. But uh, answer the question, though. We want to know. <laughs> uh, I still think I still think at this point, uh, it's a tough question. I still think at this point you have to re-sign Josh Donaldson and with the uncertainty there, but see, if Sanchez did not have the season he had last year, then I, the answer would be different. But with Sanchez's uncertainty, I also want to say you have to re-sign Marcus Stroman. So it's a tough one. When we can have a conversation about how much a team should spend and ignore the reality of the fourth largest market, North America, with the best attendance in the American League. Why are we talking about whether they should spend? Shouldn't the answer be spend, do it, invest in the team, expand it to about 180, 190? You don't have to break 200. You don't, I'm not saying you've got to go crazy and turn into the Dodgers. 
But I mean, you know, and let me direct this at Sam. Isn't there a justifiable reason for this kind of investment, knowing that this team with a Giancarlo Stanton or J.D. Martinez would be the draw in the city? I mean, that alone should get, what, an extra 10, 15,000 in the seats? Correct, and we also need to keep in mind that the Yankees aren't going to get any worse anytime soon, and it's very likely that the Red Sox are just going to keep buying, 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 and are very likely a landing spot for Giancarlo Stanton. And if the Blue Jays are going to, need, are going to compete with it, they're going to need ownership to shell out a little more money. And one way to certainly make sure the attendance is going back is signing, hopefully, both JT and Stroman. But we need to keep in mind the rest of the market is the Yankees and the Red Sox are, for years to come, going to be very competitive teams we deal with, both of which have a tendency to spend a lot more than the Blue Jays do. I suppose that's what made the World Series interesting in some ways. It was a battle between two teams, one that had decided that they were going to seriously invest as much as they could consistently to build a star-studded team like the Dodgers, and another that had to break it all down, endure one of the worst seasons in modern history, and then find themselves once again investing in not only the talent that came up through the farm system, but also the talent that needed to be acquired through free agency. And boy, oh boy, did the Astros ever go after smart people, smart personnel, right? Absolutely. I think the reason that it won't, it will never go up to that 180 mark is the fact that they brought in Mark Shapiro and Ralph Dawkins from Cleveland, which is very tight budget market. If they wanted to keep it at 180, I think they would have just kept Alex Anthopoulos in there and allowed him to do his thing. That's a, that, by the way, that's a phenomenal point. I want to get back to it in a second. We've got a caller, and now we've got a huge, massive round table. So let's get the caller in to ask a question, and then we can address it. Give me one second to bring them on. Uh, hi there. What's your name? You're on the Jay's Journal podcast, and where are you from? Hey, this is the Meyer League guru, Craig Borden. <laughs> How are you guys doing? <laughs> Listen to this guy. Who's this guy? I have good Craig timing, I hear. Good evening, Craig. <laughs> Guys, All right, and I had with to that, call I'm going to have to leave you guys. On. Hey, no worries. I figured some people are going to get off the train at some point. Sammy, thanks for calling in. All that stuff, by the way, I'm going to put on the next episode. That was some kick-ass analysis. So, you know, mm-hmm. he just came <laughs> on and started talking about his opinion. Shocked. What about you, Craig? Like, where are you at on your Josh Donaldson opinion based on this poll? Like, when you look at this poll, what's your instinct tell you? Well... He's clearly a fan favorite, Ari, and as far as things go, honestly, how often do you see a generational-type player come through Toronto? So I can see why everybody's so excited to even play with the idea of keeping him for as long as they, you know, foreseeable future anyways is the hope, right? Um, I think, honestly, if they don't grab him and keep him away from all the likes of all our, you know, awful competition, I think we're making a big mistake anyways, because I think he is going to be one of those guys that plays out his contract really well. He's got that attitude for it. Well, in regards to the timing of the re-signing as well, I mean, we started talking with Sam about how the most valuable time to do it would be now in terms of Donaldson's stock. Mm-hmm. But how far do you see mm-hmm. the Blue Jays pushing this? Could you, could you see this being like a zero-hour decision where it looks like he's gone and at the last second Edward Rogers shows up on a unicorn and basically changes the, 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 you know, the rules of the game and says, you know what, I want him back? My question is how much money do you have to offer him for him to accept a deal this offseason? Like oh would he even would he even take an extension right now, or would he bet on himself and go for that monster contract next year? I think it's a great question. Like, and uh, you know, to me, there's so many floating factors um, 
just because you know he could he could bet on himself next offseason, but he also has to keep in mind, as as I'm sure that he's more than aware, that the Bryce Harpers and Manny Machados and potentially Clayton Kershaws and the list goes on will be available next offseason. So to me, if I was his agent, I'd be if he wants to stay in Toronto, I'd be pressing the Blue Jays now if it was me. But yeah, almost we'll strike while iron's hot, right? Yeah. So do you think if the Blue Jays right now went to Donaldson and offered him five years, 150, he'll take it? I think if it was on top of this season, he would. Like I would I think say it's definitely he... the ballpark of conversation, at least. But, you know, we brought it up repeatedly, right? I think what spoils this whole plan of thinking that he might be amenable to a competitive offer today is knowing that if he sticks and just holds on to his arbitration status – then he will end up being part of the most highly anticipated free agent field ever in 2018. Mm-hmm. So what incentive, what incentive if you're Josh Donaldson, do you have to, to, to move for any reason outside of the sentimentality of wanting to be a Blue Jays player and getting the kind of offer that would galvanize it? And $30 million wouldn't do it. I don't think $30 million would do it because I think that's the baseline right now that he's worth based on what's coming up in 2018. And when you consider that teams that might miss out on somebody like Machado will immediately go and call Donaldson's agent, I could easily see him getting $33, $35 million. Don't you, don't you boys agree? I think the key selling point with Toronto is that they have such a bright future regarding their position players in that they have in the outfield, they have Anthony Alford. They have T. Oscar Hernandez. In the infield, they have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. coming up. They have Bo Bichette coming up. And there's a lot of potential there. And I don't know if any other teams can offer that upside. And Josh Donaldson, as we all know, is a winner. I think he'll take that little bit of ding in salary. My worry about it is, is um, we saw it a couple years ago with the free agent market being a little saturated. Will he get lost in the shuffle? with all those guys being free agents and everybody will go, Oh, I blew all my money on this guy. I can't turn around and spend. There's only so much money free from every team, every season. And you're talking about four or five gigantic contracts easy in that off season. It could become a little insane. Absolutely. And it depends on how many buyers there really are at that kind of level. And if you talk about the Yankees and all these guys going after Otani, what's he going to be making after a year? They can give him whatever the hell he wants. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Speak, speak. It's funny. I brought up the issue of the Blue Jays. Could they realistically have a shot at him with uh, both Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson Smith? My shock. They didn't rule it out. They didn't dismiss it as frivolous, uh, you know, the classic kind of frivolous uh, fan love that people are out there spreading, which is anything's possible in this great big world as long as, you know, you have. Uh, if it could happen, we know with Shapiro and Atkins, it doesn't work that way. You, you don't become a multi—you don't become a multiple-time executive of the year because you pull reckless moves. He's always been a cold calculator. Which part of the cold calculation would you say, Craig, plays into the factor of going out and doing something that, that you know fans might not foresee happening, like signing a generational talent like Otani, which both. Welling and Nicholson Smith agreed is like something we've never seen before. Why not go after him? I think it's going to be a full court press on Otani, honestly. I uh, think they're playing their cards close to the chest right now, but as far as it goes, correct me if I'm wrong, we were in the U Darvish thing until the minimal oh. last few days. We were in the Andralis Chapman thing until the last couple of days when the Reds supposedly swooped in. So the market is there, and I think they have 
a big thing going for them as far as the Asian population in Toronto, period. It's going to make him, I would think, a little more home feely than as far as things go. Um, I think that if they aren't marketing the town of Toronto in the city and how beautiful and lovely it is that – even for somebody like me, that makes it over a couple few times a year. I love being up there. I think he has more that he might be able to connect with than even I am. So mm. if he finds something like that, that might be that one last selling thing versus going to New York, going to Texas. I just don't know how I deal with Rue No Door every day, but that's besides the point, I guess. <laughs> but um, I just... But you know, there's a lot of good things I think, and if everybody's going to be on the same playing field as far as close in the ballpark on money, why not Toronto? And I'm wondering, Jason, how, how much of it, Jason, do you think is cultural uh, cultural affinity or taking advantage of a multicultural market versus, from a baseball perspective, a player that we've never seen having the ability to both pitch and hit in an American League park? See, I'm a little skeptical about the cultural aspect because Otani frequently is described as a baseball freak, a guy who lives baseball, who is baseball. So I think if the Blue Jays want to recruit him, while the cultural aspect and the diversity of Toronto is nice, they really have to pitch on winning, the good potential of the team, their um sports science, how they're the leaders in sports science right now, which will help them become a two-way player. That's the part that they have to pitch over the multicultural side, I think. Mm -hmm. I agree. I was kind of more, Jason, sorry to say this, but I was trying to make that sound more like the the cherry on top of the cake. (laughs) Oh, okay, I see. More like the final nail in the coffin, because I have a... I don't think doubting that the the Blue Jays have plenty of baseball culture in the city mm-hmm. the way it's been the last few years is definitely not a downside one way or the other. I think that their their development of the sports science, which if you might say that sports science side of the game, the Blue Jays are one of the leading innovators in that side of the game. And I think that prepares them really well for a potential Otani bid. I was going to say that I found it really fascinating to appreciate that, you know, th- this is a player coming from from Japan who would only develop the way he has in a country like Japan. You, you just wouldn't see that, obviously, in organized um, North American baseball or even, I think, in the, uh, you know, or even in the, you know, Latin markets because it, it isn't heard of. You're either a pitcher or you're a hitter. The fact that he was someone that uh, – was allowed to develop into someone who literally is a Babe Ruth mirror in that regard. I mean, he's someone that from day one has arrived in his league and been the best. It'd be one thing if he were a mediocre pitcher, right, and a really good hitter, or just an average hitter and he's a Cy Young Award winner. But apparently, he literally could do both equally well. And I looked up his numbers and I did some research, and it's like a video game. Seriously, I'm playing Xbox with him. It's ridiculous. Um, So... The thing that the Blue Jays can't find a way to make a dedicated effort, and I, I hate to do this to you, Craig, but if my memory serves me correctly, they were never really in, the Blue Jays were never in the Darvish sweepstakes. They kept saying how they were going to be posting up $50 million, but I think their bid ended up being like $31. Like, they were way short. They weren't even finalists. And, and that bothered me enormously because they talked a really big game, which ended up being a lot of BS, sadly which is we're serious about him. Well, if you're serious about him and you know he's worth $50 million, don't try to court him with 30. 
And if you're serious about bringing back a player like Edwin Encarnacion, then don't lowball him with an offer that ended up creating a problem for both sides and ended up in him signing for less term for the same amount of money. This team can't repeat those kind of misadventures. I mean, is that how you'd characterize them, Chris? Doesn't it sound to you like a lot of frugality at its worst and a lack of vision and leadership? Like, what are we talking about? We as fans deserve better. Show us more. You know, the one thing that I think, uh, you know, I was always fan. I was always a fan of Paul Beeston, and I was a fan and am a fan of Alex Anthopoulos. The one thing that I, with this new front office is that I, I haven't felt like they've done anything or they've made any false promises to us as fans. Or, and I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm starting to give them a longer leash because they don't say that they're going to do things that they don't. And so we'll see how serious their push is for Otani. Obviously, you can't throw money at the situation. Um, you have to become more creative. But uh, I, I'm ca- getting cautiously optimistic about this group and about the direction of the Blue Jays going forward. Um, you know, it's always a little scary to think about the analytical side and saving money kind of reputation that, that uh, Shapiro comes with. But, but overall, uh, I feel like the narrative is starting to change. And maybe I'm just too much of an optimist. 